0: Welcome to the Security Weekly News Wrap-Up for the week of 10 July 2022. We've got Naivete, Microsoft, UEFI, Mantis, Celsius, Ring, and Minority Report, along with show wrap-ups on the Security Weekly News. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. We interrupt our program to bring you hidden for message. It's the show that keeps you up to date on the latest security news twice a week, your trusted source for accurate security information and expert analysis. It's time for Security Weekly News. Right now everybody is talking about cryptocurrency, and the cyber criminals are hiding in the conversation. Cyber criminals use social engineering loaded with urgency and fear to successfully prey on your company, your employees, and your customers. Spear phishing is just one of the 13 types of email threats. Barracuda has identified 13 types and shows you how you can protect your company, your customers and your reputation. Find out about the 13 email threat types and Barracuda email protection by going and getting your free ebook at securityweekly.com/barracuda. That's securityweekly.com/barracuda. Monitoring and maintaining compliance is a never-ending struggle with a high price of failure. Firemon helps customers meet complex and varying compliance requirements. Firemon has fully customizable reporting, analytics, assessments, and dashboards to meet the compliance needs of any organization. With Firemon, compliance reports take a tenth of the time, and real-time continuous compliance eliminates the anxiety and headaches of audit preparation. Improve security outcomes by improving security operations with Firemon. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Firemon to learn more. All right, I'm Doug White, and this is the Security Weekly News Wrap-Up Show, Episode 223. Yeah. On Application Security Weekly, number 203, Joe South, John, and Mike had Fashad Abassi, who's the founder and chief security officer at Forward Security on the show. Fahad was on to talk about... What we all need to do to build secure code—I mean, this is a, a obviously the main topic of App Security Weekly, uh, or App Security Weekly, or whatever you want to call it. But basically, how do we? What do we need to do? And they talk about this a lot. And how do these teams need to work with the developers to create criteria for security solutions using training scanners or whatever kind of things you need to use in order to get to a place where we write more secure apps? Because as we all know, that is a huge problem. In the second segment, the AppSec news. On Business Security Weekly number 268, Josh, Matt, and Tyler first did their update for the Q1, Q2 of this year. So, this was this uh, financial show that is one of my favorites on that particular network uh, because I do like to see their market analysis and what's going on. And with the markets being the way they are, you know, the last few months, it's probably a nice time to look and you get a little roller coaster ride on the charts. Uh, If you're an investor in security, this is definitely a segment you want to check out. Uh, They always have good suggestions. They have a portfolio that you can track. Uh, It's pretty fun. In the second segment, leadership and communication news. On Enterprise Security Weekly 280, Adrian John and Tyler Shields had on Kevin Jackson, the senior vice president at Total Network Services. Kevin was on to talk about how connected devices are now pretty much outnumbering us two to one which is kind of scary and kind of cool in a way. Uh, but at that that number is accelerating. So, you know, my vision of the world where everybody's got a drone swarm hovering about them is probably going to come to pass at some point in the not-too-distant future. Uh, they talked about how this is a threat and how this threat, you know, what all it creates, you know, so what are the threats that come out of this and how we need to start addressing this uh, with verifiable and immutable device ID and lifecycle reporting systems. So a big deal coming up. I, I do like the immutable device ID stuff because I do think we're going to need that. How do you know your drones are your drones and they're not somebody else's drones and my drones and your drones are not interacting in some way. In the second segment, the enterprise security news. In their third segment, our friend Fleming she, she, the CTO at Barracuda Networks, joined the show along with Merritt Maxim, the VP and Research Director at Forrester Inc. Uh, I uh, this segment was talking about how strange it was to return to RSA Live because RSA was live this year in San Francisco and uh, they were talking about how that was a kind of surreal experience after the last few years of of everything being virtual and so forth and uh, they talked about how that changed the conference and along with discussion uh, they added to that uh, threat about identity access threats and how to deal with some of that so a pretty good segment there if you're interested in such things on the Security Weekly News number 222, Jason Wood was on talking about why you still shouldn't pay the ransom unless, of course, well, maybe, maybe you should. But in general, you probably shouldn't, and it probably won't reduce your legal risk even if you do, so you probably shouldn't since you may get in trouble with regulators and governments if you, if you do, unless you have to pay, uh, but then you still may be in hot water even if you didn't pay or you did pay. So yeah, kind of sucks. On Paul's Security Weekly, number 747, first up was Andy Robbins, the product architect of Bloodhound Enterprise at Spectre, IOP, uh, at Spectre OPs. And, and uh, Andy was on to talk about the Bloodhound origin story. So if you've never followed Bloodhound or any of that kind of stuff, it's pretty interesting. Uh, definitely worth checking out with that. Talked about the current state of the Bloodhound project and the, and the future of it. And they also then went on and talked about Azure Attack Path. So a bunch of stuff there uh and it was quite interesting in the second segment the cybersecurity news which is always of course the most fun um my threat of the week is going to be naivety um naivete i don't know uh specifically uh my long harped on naivete of security through obscurity uh you for about a thousand years and a thousand consulting jobs speaking of which i need a new one but i digress Uh, I have been yapping, uh, for a long time about security through obscurity because I, I, have heard it all, uh, whether it's the mini computer can't be hacked because it's EBCDIC or Apple can't be hacked because it's well, you know, Apple, or even the old saw about how OT is not connected to the IT is not connected to the knee bone is not connected to the ankle bone and all that stuff, uh, you know, or, or, you know, that OT is not even connected. So it must be safe. But, you know, this story uh, that I I attached, which was about the Orbit uh, backdoor in Linux, kind of put me back onto that original myth uh, of the dawn of time that hackers don't attack Unix and Linux because that's what they use, which I always thought was incredibly naive. I mean, granted, traditionally, hackers targeted the most used platforms, which was Windows and Microsoft, because they were in the most offices and the most systems and so forth. But I mean, You know, it's really naive. You know, does anybody need to buy a slightly used bridge in Brooklyn? I mean, naive, right? Well, more and more, we're seeing that no matter how obscure you want to make something, there's a web forum discussing how to get into that thing and then people that specialize in it. Remember those days gone by when people talked about using our login and hacking was really just asking some old engineer who lived in a cave if there was a hard-coded password in the deck 10 that you could use to get in if you locked yourself out and you found out that, oh yeah, when we put that thing together, we used the password Frodo a bunch of times, so that'll probably work. And yeah, it did. You know, that those days are gone uh, for the most part, but today there is no more obscurity. Old engineers living in caves have blog forums and, and Twitter accounts. You know, there's just no more obscurity. None, not a zilch, zit, bupkis. It's, it's gone. I mean, the idea that your system, and I don't care if it was built by a guy named Bill in 1978 and runs on Xenix and uses dial up modems to access a BBS system that's still running at NYU from 1975 to connect to the internet. Somebody's got a page on it or a blog or a Twitter feed. I mean, they do. So, I mean, somewhere in some Russian language bulletin board that you don't even have access to and can't read, that's operated by a teenage kid in Yemen, there's a board where they discussed it. I mean, even if you're the rat catcher's office in Bronxville and no one cares that you exist at all and your logging system is running on DBase 3 Plus on a DOS machine with a 286 processor, there's a board somewhere talking about it. Where sexy panda or Wiggly Dangler or whatever you know flappy group, apt is interested in compromising resources in the U.S. is named today. They are working on it. So let's all just agree and band together and say right now, O oh, mighty core, we do heed your wisdom and knowledge. then no longer will we try to get away with letting management redirect the budgets to marketing, since we don't really need security, since we're using Lotus One Two Three. And thus they spake. Amen. I mean, it's time to let it go. Sometimes I think if I hear one more CIO tell me that the factory is running Commodore 64s with cassette tapes drive, so we don't really need to worry about security, I'm just going to lose it, whip out an old Atari console, and beat them about the head and shoulders with it until they cart me off to Bellevue screaming, Intruder alert, intruder alert, intruder alert. So I do think it's time to put away childish things and start to acknowledge that this model doesn't work. I just get sick of it, as you can probably tell. Our naivety is going to get us every time. You get caught. You're going to get got. And that means you know, up and downstream too. If that sandwich machine vendor who's installing the latest Lucas Electronics machine to sell prawn and mayo sandwiches in the lobby says, it's only using Wi-Fi to connect your network so we can tell when the sandwiches have gone bad. So it's not really a threat. You you just need to force feed a couple of those things to them. Just get the sandwiches out and make them eat them in front of you. And when the hallucinations kick in from the bad mayo, you can secure the damn thing. I mean... You know, I understand the face of bow installation is only using ATM to communicate. So what? Someone will come after it. So, you know, I guess it's enough to rant for one day, but it's probably not. And I don't really feel any better because I still get getting I just still keep getting told these things when I talk to people. They call me and they go, "That's not really a problem, right?" And you like, "No, it is a problem." And I know somewhere somehow down in some steamy dripping basement somewhere there's a vending machine that only dispenses eldritch horrors and it's connected using old telegraph lines that were installed before the civil war but there's some kid in burundi is posting right now on a twitter feed in russian that the root password is gandalf you know so go get him. i don't know and now the news CISA added a high severity flaw that impacts Windows Server and uh, uh, clients, including Windows 11 and Server 22, uh, to its list of bugs being currently abused in the wild. The flaw is numbered CVE 2022 and it is listed as a zero day that can allow someone to obtain system level privilege. So that, I mean, pretty scary sounding bug, right? The bug was discovered by Microsoft Threat Intelligence Center and the Microsoft Security Response Center. So they pretty much have the inside line on this stuff. Uh, the reason I bring this up is just to let you know and remind you that based on Operational Directive 22-01 in the United States government, all federal civilian executive branch agencies, so that's you know, pretty much everybody except the military, uh, are subsequently required to secure their systems from this bug within three weeks. Now, there's well, I, I. I looked around for this, and there wasn't a lot of information on how this bug was used or what the active attacks actually did. And they don't seem to be releasing a lot of information about how it actually works at this point, um, as yet. I'm sure they will eventually. But a patch for this was issued in the July 2022 Patch Tuesday collection. So, which also had a had a 84 other new bugs as well. So, basically, you are obligated to put this patch in place, and you probably want to check out what it's doing. I don't know if there's a way to isolate that particular patch out of all the other patches in Patch Tuesday updates. So it's definitely something to get in your plan if you were not aware of it so far. An extensive campaign is targeting Kaswara Modern WP Bakery Page Builder, which I'd never heard of. But it is a WordPress plugin and uh, it, it affects WordPress sites. Apparently, this particular plugin has been abandoned by its developer, although I did find a site that was still selling access to it, uh, and there's a vulnerability in it that has not been patched that is called CVE-2021-24284. Now, the vulnerability allows the attacker, and and it's a pretty nasty vulnerability, it allows the attacker to inject JavaScript, which anytime you can inject JavaScript, it's bad, but they can inject JavaScript to the sites that have this plugin on them, and they can use that to uh, upload and download and delete files. So basically, this is one of those, it's almost like an old school web attack, you know, the ones where they used to come in, they replace your main index page with, you know, like a ha-ha, you're an idiot, you know, kind of uh, defacement, but they can also upload all kinds of malware or anything else they pretty much want to to your WordPress site and that basically lets them take over the entire site at that point Uh, defiant research detected close to 1.6 million WordPress sites being scanned for this plugin currently in their whatever their time frame was caswara is a tool which adds a bunch of features one of those little tools you get when you're building websites you go oh, here's a cool thing i can add all these buttons and various things uh, so you know you just you just get it and put it on there, uh, but basically there's many of these tools so you could probably replace it. The guidance on this is to immediately remove this plugin. So if you are using Caswara, you need to get rid of it right now ah, uh, there's no patch for whatever's wrong with it. Defiant went on to say that they were seeing up to half a million attack attempts per day against customer sites. That they that, That's just the ones they're monitoring. They did say that of the 1.6 million, only a small percentage of the sites were using the plugin, but if you have it, you need to get rid of it or block it now. Well, good old UEFI flaws are always so much fun to hear about because to me, UEFI was one of those things that was like sort of sacrosanct, the bootstrapping process and the boot up process has always been this kind of and again it almost turns into another security through obscurity idea but but UEFI has turned into a real boogeyman of scary stuff to think about at this point the latest revelation is that Lenovo has issued an advisory disclosing three medium secu- severity vulnerabilities that impact their laptops with one vulnerability in the ready boot dxe driver so that that's you know that's pretty bad and another problem in the system load default dxe driver so this is all part of that uefi bootstrapping process that's going on when your laptop starts up which means somebody can get into that system before it actually boots. And if they can do that, you got a big problem. All the models that were affected by this are listed in the article, so you may want to check that out if you're using Lenovo systems. Uh, ESET analysts uh, discovered the three bugs and said that an attacker could leverage them to interrupt the OS execution flow and disable security features during the boot up process. And if they can do that, it means they can start ejecting things into that. And getting rid of those kind of things is really, really challenging. All of the flaws were buffer overflows that were due to insufficient validation of data size parameter, which is typical of those kind of buffer overflows. And But it is handed off to the UEFI process, so then they can basically push a pointer into UEFI and point it to something else. So, yeah, very much— you know, very much like a lot of things though, this boot up process to me was always considered a security to obscurity item as well, you know, like other things. And, and, you know, we have enabled things like UEFI remote startups, the ability to boot from a network server and so on and so on and so on. And basically this means that the BIOS itself is, you know, at risk. Uh, These were not High severity, which means that it's a kind of complicated process. But Lenovo advised users to download the latest available drivers from their official download site. The attacks do seem kind of sophisticated to me, uh, but don't let security through complexity become your litany either, because that's just as naive as security through obscurity. So, And we've seen that before where it's like, oh, it's too hard to do. Nobody will ever do it. And I'm like, right, there's some kid right now sitting at a computer going, oh, I can figure this out. Last month, a record-breaking distributed denial-of-service attack was run and mitigated by Cloudflare. The attack peaked at 26 million requests per second, uh, and it was being generated by by only 5,067 devices. Wow, that's that's pretty impressive. This exceeded the the nearest, uh botnet attack, which hit 21.8 million requests per second previously. The attack has been attributed to a new botnet called Mantis, which was described by Cloudflare as, quote, the most powerful botnet to date. Uh, The botnet is named after the Mantis shrimp, which is apparently very tiny and very nasty, um, a little uh, critter that runs around. Uh, The Mantis botnet focuses on virtual machines, so they've sort of moved on from the old-fashioned let's infect a bunch of desktops to infecting servers uh, to infecting virtual machines and virtual servers. Uh, so that they have the access to the greatest number of resources per site, because a lot of those are scaled, right? So those virtual machines can scale up their resources if they need to, and then you got a big problem, and they can create a much more powerful attack that way. Miris recruited MicroTik uh, devices as its base, using a similar kind of idea, But now this has moved on. Manus targets IT, telco, and news, media, finance, and gaming sectors, and over the last 30 days has launched 3,000 distributed denial-of-service attacks against almost 1,000 different Cloudflare customers alone. So that's just whoever's with Cloudflare. doesn't mean everybody in the world. Cloudflare does have a list of the best preventative measures that they recommend and how to respond to attacks on their site that's linked in that article. So if you're concerned about this, uh, check it out. Not really a security news item, but crypto lender Celsius filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy on Wednesday after it had frozen all transactions, which means you can't withdraw funds. And I mean, they did this like instantaneously. It was just like one minute and then it's gone. And they said, sorry, no more withdrawals. Uh, The company had been claiming annual yields of up to 18% for people putting their currency on the platform uh, due to apparently lending the assets to hedge funds. Uh, that's language in the finance world that always makes me nervous. You know, anytime you see big, big returns and the word hedge funds, watch out. Uh, hedge funds are for people that have way, way, way too much money and not much to do with it and if they lose some of it big deal so they take high risks market downturns often lead to this kind of thing and you know when you see those promises way in excess of the typical market return it means you're taking on excess it doesn't mean it's illegal or it's it's any kind of sketchy thing it just means you're taking on tons of risk right so that's what a big return means and you know so buyers beware and people that can say oh i could lose two million dollars this week and it wouldn't be any big deal so what they can take risks to get return but basically with no warning morning uh, Celsius suspended all transactions and filed for chapter 11. The company is in debt for hundreds of millions of dollars to various creditors. Now chapter 11 is usually used for large sums uh, and companies with lots and lots of money is involved and allows for reorganization of the company which means they technically still exist and they may be able to reorganize and get things back together at some point in the future but it also means that the creditors can't take any action against them currently, but they have a lot of rights in this process, including a vote to approve what the reorganization does and how it's done in order to maximize the chance that they recover the money that's owed them, which is scary when you're not a creditor. And if you put your crypto wallets on that platform, you are not a creditor per se. I mean, you are, but you're pretty far down the food chain. Most of these kind of chapter 11 processes take six months to two years to resolve, but there isn't a time limit on it either. Celsius shows a $1.19 billion deficit on the balance sheet with $4.3 billion in assets and $5.5 billion in liabilities. Six states in the United States are now investigating Celsius and their business practices uh, since apparently they prevented customers from drawing deposited funds, which is a problem. The state of Vermont said they were, that the company was operating without any oversight and appeared to have been selling unregistered securities and so forth. Other cryptocurrency platforms have also paused transactions recently and also have filed for bankruptcy. This is sometimes called a shakeout in the business world uh, when they talk about new industries like the cryptocurrency world. So be careful out there. Just to let you know, Amazon, who is the owner of Ring Home Security, turned over footage from Ring cams to U.S. law enforcement without warrants 11 times so far in 2022. Amazon's policy with Ring is that police cannot generally view recordings on the platform without the owner's prior consent, but that they will allow it with court orders, which they almost have to do under under the U.S. law, and emergency requests so this sort of in quotes emergency request the 11 viewings they reported were all emergency requests that resulted in the release of data from ring cams without the owner's prior consent ring does get to determine what constitutes an emergency the statement from amazon was quote in each instance ring made a good faith determination that there was an imminent danger of death uh, or physical injury to a person that required disclosure of information without delay Um, And and I'm not going to say I'm against this because I did see one of these very recently where a SWAT team needed access to this information because there was an active uh, person that was apparently threatening somebody with a weapon and they wanted to see what was going on. Uh, and, I, and I think that was a pretty good uh, emergency, in my opinion. Over 2,100 policing agencies are members of what is called the Neighbors Public Safety Service, which allows the participants to request ring footage from ring users directly. Uh, it takes a court order or an emergency request to circumvent this particular method. Basically, the other ones I've seen were thefts. Um, we got contacted about a theft, on, and they asked if they could access our ring footage uh, because there was somebody in there that they thought had tr- passed through that neighborhood and they wanted to see if they could see the person or the car on any of the ring footage, but they did that through the, pro- the process. And, then, and I've certainly seen this emergencies with active shooters and so forth. It's definitely a privacy issue. Don't get me wrong, but it could be a good thing as well. So you know it's, it's, it's one of those things you have to consider for yourself. Like you, obviously they can do this. It could they could exceed their authority and so forth. And finally, I can never resist a story about Philip K. Dick and and minority report and you know philip k dick had the whole world dystopian paranoia thing well in hand a long time ago i mean he saw right through it way before any of this stuff even existed you know the allure of predicting crime is always appealing to voters and and citizens right i mean if somebody tells you they can predict crime everybody's like all for it and preventing crime is certainly appealing but it's also kind of scary right when you start thinking about predictive crime Um, you know, that old plus or minus stuff we all see on those, you know, those polls and stuff where they see plus or minus 2%, plus or minus 10% and so forth. You know, we don't think about it very much. We say, oh, 90%, you know, and and that sounds good. Well, so some University of Chicago scientists released a new algorithm, uh, AI algorithm last month that claims in the press release that they had, that it has the ability to predict crime with 90% accuracy, plus or minus 10% in the small print down at the bottom. The problem with that is is the sort of missing MacGuffin of precogs. So in Philip K. Dick's story, there are these people who can see the future. I mean, this is you know science fiction. And they could see what was possible to get these flashes of what's going to happen in the future. And as such, they weren't really predicting anything, but they were rather seeing what would happen if something doesn't change. So you know, they see that you're going to go slap that lady silly that's trying to pay for all of her groceries with about 10,000 expired coupons, so they come and stop you before you do it. I mean, that, that's a little bit different. The problem with the AI model is that it's predictive. So the AI trains itself based on history, and how do we train it? With historical data. And that historical data may contain all sorts of biases that are not necessarily reflective of what's currently going on or even what may happen in the future. And that's why those Twitter AI bots go racist all the time, right? Because there's so much racist stuff on Twitter. But prediction, if it's used correctly, and I don't mean minority report, but if it's used as guidance, it's used for planning or allocation of resources. Awesome. But the danger is when it gets into overuse and direct interpretation and people start saying, well, this must be what's going to happen because this AI predicted that it was going to happen, plus or minus 10%, with a bunch of good old-fashioned racist bias thrown down in there in the mix. So be careful out there. And that's a wrap-up for the week of 10 July 2022. I'm Doug White. I will see you next week on the Security Weekly News.